Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, it's funny, in my head, I just heard 1970s Jesus. And this is why. This guy comes up to him while he's talking about eternal truths, really important stuff, and, and also doing a little bit of, of uh, head-butting with Pharisees and teachers of the law and all this stuff. And the big question, and if you've ever taught a Bible class, you know this happens all the time. The big question is, Hey, Jesus, she won't share. He won't share. I want some of that. He won't give it to me. And you get that kind of stuff, right? You do that in kids' classes. You had that in, in, in Cedars, uh, Golden Agers, we'll call them. Golden Age classes. You get that all over, AARP Bible stuff. You get all that kind of stuff all the time. You, you really start to, as a teacher, there are times when you really start to doubt your ability to communicate. You're talking about the deep truths of Scripture, and the first question is, do you think that Jesus was talking about Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's divorce. That's a real example, by the way. I got that one in a Bible class. That's not making, I'm not making that up. Uh-huh, that's true. So, all this kind of stuff, you know, he would get. And when I read verse 14 in my head, before it came out loud, I heard Jesus, out loud, Jesus replied in the 1970s, Man! Like Shaggy, you know what I mean? Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Man, who appointed me your judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, it's a bold Bible teacher that gets a question about fairness and will you please help get him to split this in the right way, who then starts saying, you know, you really ought to watch out for greed, brother. But that's what Jesus just did, didn't he? And then he didn't even stop there. Verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is not one of the more comfortable parables of Jesus. But it's, it's one that does strike everybody in some way or another. And so we're going to look this morning at a few different things that this guy did. His mistakes... So maybe we won't reinvent the wheel and, and make his mistakes even bigger. Uh, I, almost, I almost titled that An American in Galilee. That's what I almost did. Because it just it touches on things we really do all the time. I was going to say we really do struggle with, but we don't actually struggle with it a lot of the time. We just do it. And there's a big difference. Struggle means I was trying not to. And this guy wasn't trying not to. And too often we aren't trying not to. If we read this parable through 21st century, now American eyes, we might even, you're churchy people, and so you might read it and go, yes, I know the Sunday school answer. What he did was wrong. But if we were reading it just for the very first time right off the street without knowing Jesus, we might sit there and go, I don't get it. What was the problem? It seems to me 
that our whole life is about being successful. The guy was a farmer, and he was a successful farmer. He had a lot of, of uh, just a bumper crop. He had enough money set aside that with the bumper crop, he could, he could tear down his barns and build even bigger ones. That's called the American dream, isn't it? That's what we live for. That's what we struggle for. That's what we save for. That's what we collect for. That's what we hoard for. And yet God is sitting here saying this is bad, and He's actually saying that He's a fool to be what we are, our culture says is the best thing to be. I don't get it. We've been so churchified, we almost don't realize that we don't get it. But we don't get it. Deep down, we know we don't get it. And if you didn't name in it, it's because you agreed. You didn't want to, you didn't want to admit it. That's the way it is this morning. It's going to be one of those. He... Uh, he was an American in a lot of ways. We didn't invent that wheel. And, and that's the reason that somebody 2,000 years ago was struggling with the exact same thing. When he thought about his future, unfortunately, there was only one person he really thought about. And that was his self. He wasn't thinking about, what can I do as I... Let's say you're saving up for retirement. As I save up for retirement, what can I do so that in my retirement I will continue to be able to be generous as I've been when I am working. That was not in his mindset. Some of yours, it has been. Some of you have planned that way. You, you've, you've already avoided his trap here. You've thought ahead and said, you know, I'm going to do this and, and hopefully this will be successful. And when it pans out, then I have plans and those plans don't just include myself. They include, uh, it may be something in missions. It may be something to do with, with education. It, lot, lots of different things it could be. And that's according to what the Lord puts on your heart. So we're not writing prescriptions this morning that way. But some of you have done that. But our culture generally doesn't do that. Generally doesn't do that. It generally is, how can I save up so that when I am older, so that when I am successful, and that may happen younger, not older, I have enough money to do what? To fund my dreams. And our dreams become... Our goal, they become what our life is all about. And that dream may be, uh, maybe you want a, a cabin in the woods somewhere and you want to be able to buy the thousand acres around it so that nobody else can come and, and talk to you. That's at least five of your, five people's dream in this room. I know because you're trying with all your might. Not necessarily to earn that money, but you'd like to at least find the hole in the ground. Nobody's going to find you. But, you know, maybe it's that or maybe it's, you know, the other day... I. I like to go on to YouTube sometimes and just, you know, when I need a brain break, I'll just watch stuff. There's a, there's a guy named Hickok45 who does, like, cowboy shooting gun reviews. That's, that, that's pretty cool. And when, when I'm tired of that, maybe I want to look and see. Uh, I don't remember what I've looked at. There's stupid stuff. There's a great commercial for a Russian 4x4 that's hilarious. I don't know. You know, it's a time killer, right? One of the things that we were looking at the other day in the evening, kids had gone to bed and just kind of fiddling around, was these, it was one of those suggested videos when you go to YouTube. And it was this RV, okay? And it wasn't, that's really not what it was, okay? RV is not the right word, okay? This, because this thing had, uh, of course it has to have granite because somebody watched HGTV, and if you've ever watched that, you have to have granite. I love it when people walk in on that TV show and they look at something as as cheapy as this and go, oh, is that granite? It's like, see, you don't even know what you're looking for. They don't even know it's a rock, half of them. And so, 
Anyway, it had granite. And of course, all you know what I'm thinking of, because I'm on a preacher budget. I'm thinking, do you know how bad the gas mileage is going to be if you've got all those sheets of granite in that thing? It's going to weigh it down. You're going to have to pay three-something at the pump for all that diesel. That's just the way my mind thinks. And so... Uh, they need to make the thing solar powered. And then it had solar panels, actually. It had solar panels and all that stuff. But it had granite and it had uh, marble in the bathroom and it had real, not just wood floors, it had teak floors, you know, like they put on the, the trunk of the Rolls-Royce convertible and yachts. Yachts is uh, what's-his-head used to like to say. You know who I'm talking about. Jerry Clower. And it had all of that for the floors. What in the world is that going to cost? And so there's all of that kind of stuff and a huge bathroom, okay? Just gigantic. And that was just the first floor. The first floor. This thing was pulled by a semi. And then, then you hit a button and the second floor rose up and stairs twirled up to the second floor. And there was a movie theater and big leather chairs and all of this stuff. And, you know, you can see where that might become something where you say, you know what, I'm going to get me one of those. I mean, that would be stupid for me to say that. But maybe some of you could say, I'm going to get me one of those. If I converted a semi-trailer into a, into a camper, I'm afraid, first of all, it had to start off with a used cattle truck. And that's... That's probably not going to, it's probably not going to upgrade all that well. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, we look at those things and it's easy to fall into the trap, isn't it? That this is the way it ought to be. This is how life is supposed to be planned out. How, what can I get and how big can I get so that when I retire, I can just sit and think about me and nobody else? And this guy had fallen into that trap. His whole future was such, and his whole frame of mind was such, that when he thought about, what am I going to do with this? It never occurred to him, never occurred to him, that there were people in his community who were hungry. And again, his riches were coming from food. He was going to store up food like nobody's business, build even bigger barns so he could store it. And he's one guy. What on earth, right? It's an easy trap to fall into because we just often don't notice everybody who's around us. We don't notice the needs that crop up. And sometimes that's not because we are in inherently evil. It's not because we are purposefully evil. It's because our focus has just become so lazy. Lazy, no, laser. Maybe lazy in some cases. Laser focused on self. We simply no longer see. And it's a terrible blindness for us to fall into. And this guy had fallen into that trap. Remember, when he fell into that trap, what did God call him? We don't want ever God to say, you fool. Much less what he says is going to happen that night. But this is what Jesus is trying to tell this young man who's arguing over inheritance. Which inheritance, truthfully, is, is gravy, isn't it? It's something somebody else worked their whole life for that you didn't earn and you didn't deserve. And if you get, didn't get it, you're still a blessed person regardless. Right? That's just that's, that's somebody else's stuff. And yet, here he was, arguing, fuming, fighting, he and his brother both. And it's, it's from that focus. It was there in the man who asked the question. It was there in the man in Jesus' parable. They forgot their neighbors. 
And they were both just thinking about themselves. When we do that, people suffer. And we talk about uh, the problem, even in our, in our community, the size that it is, of things like homelessness and hunger, poverty. And there are reasons sometimes that are personal choices. That happens. That is true. But, you know, why a person ends up in that circumstance has nothing to do with how the people of God are to react to that circumstance. Now, it may affect our reaction in the sense of what's the best way to help. But it doesn't get to... Just because somebody's made stupid choices or bad choices rather than just having tragic circumstances happen doesn't mean that we're off the hook for being Jesus to people, right? This guy felt like he was off the hook. And he even was violating God's own law. Under the, the Old Testament law, the law of Moses... There were all kinds of instructions to landowners and farmers, ranchers, about what was supposed to happen when they harvested their crops or sold their livestock. And among those things, in this case it's a crop, among those things was you were not to collect every last grain for yourself. You were not to store it all away for yourself. You were to actually leave in the fields a part of your crop, so that those who were hungry and those who were in poverty could go and collect it for their own food. And that was how, in Israel, God fed those who were hungry. By the way, you ever wondered if that might not have something to do with the time the disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath? That might tell us a little about their economic situation, about the poverty at times of the disciples and Jesus on their work. They were going through somebody's field, collecting what, because that farmer clearly had been faithful, what had been left behind so that people like them could do so. This guy hadn't done that. Everything was, nope, that's mine. Mine, 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 mine. Like the birds on, on Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. And that's the way humans are way too often. It's just all about us and God not very happy with that. Turn over to James chapter 2. We're going to be flipping around here in, uh, in just a second, so grab your Bible and warm up your fingers and all that stuff. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Uh, I'm going to go back to 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? You say, well, what's that got to do with feeding people? Well, that's kind of interesting because James, the brother of Jesus, uses this as the example. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I think it's interesting that James uses the example of somebody who is hungry and needs clothing. Somebody that this guy forgot who needs help. And he says, if you really want to say you believe in Jesus, aren't you going to do something about the poor? Aren't you going to do something about those around you who are in need? Aren't you going to feed the hungry? Aren't you going to clothe the poor? Aren't you going to collect pull-ups for children who don't have parents or grandparents and family? Aren't you going to do those things? He says, because James says, he says, from where I'm sitting, Faith isn't real if you're not. 
And this is a recurring theme in his letter. This wasn't just a random example. It wasn't just the first thing that came to his head. Throughout his letter, he reminds the church of the obligation that we have to our neighbor. That faith, living, active, real faith, bears itself out not just in songs and prayers and services, but in the feeding and the clothing of your brothers and sisters in need. This church, I will say, does a great job of trying to see those needs and meet those needs. I, we all know, too, that we were talking about it the other day. It might have been a small group. I can't remember where we were. Um, that we would hate to think of all of the opportunities that God has put in our lap, but that we just didn't notice. That if, if at the pearly gates, we're still saved by grace, but if at the pearly gates... He said, you know, before I let you in, I did want to go over this list. And he says, James, look at this. And it rolls out like a whole roll of receipt paper out there. Man, there were a lot of people you missed, dude. Wake up. Wouldn't you hate to find out that was the truth? Again, it's not always because we're evil, horrible people. Not even as greedy as this guy at all, maybe. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes our focus is so much on self, we simply, we just don't see. We're no longer in tune at all. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Verses 24 to 26. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain. Boy, that applies to to the parable, doesn't it? People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. A couple of things here I think is interesting as it applies to this guy in the parable and maybe even to us. When most likely Solomon wrote this particular chapter, when Solomon is writing this and he talks about somebody who is generous, he still includes the ability for you to make a living. He says at least be willing to sell. This guy wasn't even going to do that. He was going to just hoard it in bigger barns. He literally wasn't thinking about anybody but himself. But look at what he says earlier in this passage. One person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's not just a proverb. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 don't quote this, but repeat the principle that whenever you are generous towards others, God will increase your supply. This is not health and wealth gospel stuff. He will increase your supply, not so that you can buy a two-story RV, but so that you can help somebody else again. God will do it if it's going to encourage you to be even more generous to somebody else again. And that's His purpose. If it becomes about hoarding, Well, Jesus just told you what he thinks about that, right? So that's not going to work. I almost put a Mr. T slide up there. I pity the fool because that's that's exactly what Jesus is saying to this man. A couple, a few other passages, several other passages that speak to the attitude that we ought to have in trying to get our focus off of ourselves and onto the people around us. Romans, we're going to buzz through these. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another. How much? above yourselves. When you start to have a life where you start to say, you know what, I'm going to look for ways to encourage other people and treat them with an honor that's more important than me, then you start to get into an example that starts to look like Jesus. He did that all the time, didn't he? 
Zacchaeus deserved a lot of ridicule. He deserved a lot of ridicule for his life. What he got was honor and respect from Jesus. And it changed his life. That's the example we have. So that's, that's where we need to go. Romans twelve fifteen, just five verses later. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Curly talked about it. It's been a rough couple of weeks. And it has. And this church has banded together and mourned with those who mourn. Celebrated also the lives of people with those who celebrate those lives. And will continue to do so. That's, that's part of being Jesus to one another. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, or well, I'm quoting another translation, but in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. You want to know, hey, I don't know if I'm doing everything Jesus wants me to do. If you are bearing your brothers or sisters' burdens, you're doing what God wants you to do. And I know we're, a lot of us in the room or Church of Christers, we assume it's always going to be a lot harder than that. It's not harder than that, okay? And there's no one, two, three kick to it. You just bear one another's burdens. Love each other. Be devoted to one another. You know, God's actually more concerned with that than, than a lot of the things we're concerned with. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 10, further down, he's still talking about it. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the household or the fa- household of faith, family of believers. That's, I don't know what translation that is, but it's not the one I read yesterday when I was going back over all this stuff. This one broadens everything. All the verses before were still brothers and sisters, weren't they? And even here he says, and especially to the family of believers. Don't mistreat the church in order to treat other people well. That's just the safeguard he's putting there. But he's saying, and by the way, don't become an inward-focused church. Don't, don't lose an inward focus in yourself only to gain an in, inward focus only in your church. You may be very unselfish to your brothers and sisters, And then as a family, be selfish to the world around you. The church as a whole doesn't need to be built in silos either. It's time for us to pour grace out, open up the door and just let that stuff pour out blessings onto the world around us. And so he says, be good to all people. Philippians 2.4 Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's our focus not just ourselves. There was another mistake he made. He looked at everything he had, and who did he think did it? He was a self-made man. That's the way we would say it. And that's the picture I put up there. A very self-satisfied, self-made man, just like, like the old coot here in his, smoking his cigar, and you're just sitting in his, in his wing-back leather chair in front of the fire. All is good. I'm just going to build a bigger barn. Here's the knock at the door. Go away. I'm busy. Self-made man. We, we feel that way sometimes, don't we? That's, that's kind of where our culture wants to go too. God didn't give me that. I earned that. God didn't, God didn't show up every day and work hard for that. I showed up every day and worked hard for that. That wasn't a blessing. I deserved it. Those aren't sentences that I'm making up. Those are sentences I've heard. That's a common attitude, except in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, every blessing that we receive, every single one, is from God. James said it. I said he's on this theme through the whole letter. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It wasn't because you worked so hard. That was a part of it. That was your end of the deal. But even the ability to work at all came from whom? God. 
The energy used came from whom? God. The sunlight that grew the plant that produced the tomato came from whom? God. Every single thing. Trace it back as far as you want to. You still end up at the same guy's desk. It's God. We do nothing. Nothing by our own strength and by our own power. Absolutely nothing. We're arrogant and we think so, but it isn't true. Everything we have, we have because God granted us the grace to be able to do what we do and have what we have. And it's His blessing, no matter what it is. And we need to start treating everything we've got as though that's the source. Otherwise, we get very arrogant. I love the way the Living Bible puts this. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Ask yourself, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why do you act as if you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? It's humbling, isn't it? And that's where we ought to be. We need to remember our giver and give thanks. Paul, over and over again, when we were looking at Colossians, just everything he's told us to do, he told us, and be thankful, and be thankful, and be thankful, and be thankful. Because it's humbling when we realize that everything in our life is an act of God's grace or we wouldn't even have the breath itself because that and the next one and the next one is God's grace. In providing for His body, which is a major focus as well, maybe not for some of us, you know, some of us could use a little bit more focus and I'm just talking me and the mouse in my pocket, okay? But, you know, our culture very much some of us just decide late, too late, and then instead of exercise, we, we throw stuff into our bodies trying to fix what we didn't fix earlier on. But we're still doing what? Trying to stay alive a little bit longer? We're still trying to live a little bit longer? We're still trying to, to have the energy to do something a little bit more? And for what purpose if it isn't to serve in the kingdom of God? Everything about Him was about Him. Everything. And everything was in the moment. And do you know what Jesus says to Him? What God says to him, he says, you fool, this very night your life will be taken away from you. That's Jesus driving the point home. Why do you worry? Why do you make your life all about your stuff? Why do you make your life all about your physical appearance? Why do you make your life all about your clothes? Those are all examples Jesus used. He says, don't you understand? God's going to take care of you anyway. He's going to give you what you need anyway. And all that time and focus you spent is why you couldn't see the neighbor who needed help. It's why you couldn't see how your blessings could have been used for kingdom good. And he says, so why should I waste my time blessing you with it any longer? You're done. It's rough, isn't it? Jesus, sometimes he's, he's a little rough. James, again, chapter 4, let's turn over there, 13 and 14. How many of you are singing right now? Hebrews, James, first and second, Peter. It popped into my... I'm 46. It still comes into my head while I'm flipping places. Every time. <clears throat> now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go and do this and, and we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and we're going to carry on business and we're going to make money. Let's see, that sounds just like Texans, doesn't it? Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We know, that's, we know all too well that's true. Instead, you ought to say, and I love that James says, 
He gives us the right thing to do, not just pointing out the problem. You ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Do we think about verse 17 in the context that it's in? We usually quote this as, there's something we wanted somebody else to do and they didn't do it, and so we want to call that sin, so we quote this verse. Right? So, nobody got up and made the coffee before me, and they knew what ought to be done. They didn't do it. That's sin. That's the way that... No, that's not what James is talking about at all. He uses it in a context of people who actually had all these plans. And they're saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he doesn't, notice he doesn't say it's wrong to have plans. He said it was wrong because they didn't include the Lord and His focus in their plans. And they didn't act as though God had any place in guiding their plans. He says, no, you need to humble yourselves and say, you know what, if this is what God wants me to do, if that's what he means by if it's the Lord's will, if this is what God has planned for me and wants me to do, I'll do it. And the implication is, but if God has other plans, I'm not going to fight Him on that. That's what humble people with a focus that's kingdom-centered instead of self-centered and others-aware instead of just self-aware. That's what they start to do. God, whatever it is You have planned for me today, tomorrow and the rest of my life, that's Yours. So here's what I'm thinking. Trumpet if you need to. And we know from life experience, right? God has all kinds of ways of trumping our plans, doesn't He? Mark 8:36. the other part of this important focus, not to just think about life and your body and what brings you pleasure and in the here and now. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it going to be if in the end I had a two-story RV and a cabin in the woods there was a, one of those RV videos. This family had a mansion in, in New Jersey and a mansion in Florida, and they bought a $3 million motor home so they could drive their friends from mansion to mansion. You know, you'd hate to have to use an actual public toilet in between New Jersey. Well, actually, you would, yes. That makes sense to me. But <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I've been to New Jersey several times. You do hate to use public toilets there. I can Maybe, maybe 50000 would have been a good bathroom. But, you know, is this what it's all about? How many people do you pass on the interstate doing that who could have used food? And we kind of, we don't like Jesus messing in our business like that. We get actually really defensive when somebody says, well, you know, that could have been used to help somebody. Well, God gave it to me. He didn't give it to, if He wanted them to have it, He'd have given it to them. He gave it to me. And maybe He gave it to you so you'd learn not to have that attitude. Oh, <laughs> I can tell by what Curly just had on his face. I might have to hand out free Band-Aids later. Come by the house. Not because of Curly. I just think he was like, mm, that guy over there is about to get mad at James. No, I... We, we get defensive about it, don't we? We assume if God's blessed us with it, He knew where to put it. Maybe sometimes He knew not to bless us with certain things because He knew we'd keep it. Maybe He knew how we would use it. I do know this. God says over and over again that the blessings that He gives us if we will use them to His honor and His glory, if we will use them with the good of others in mind, that He will continue to bless. That's a promise. He will continue to bless with opportunity and with the needs to meet those opportunities. And it all starts not with a decision in heaven. He's already made up His mind. He's going to do that. It starts here with each of us. What are we going to do 
with the life and the blessings that God has given us to make a kingdom impact in the world and to show people the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that needs a face right in front of them, that needs to be shown through you so that Jesus is shown through you.